In the wake of another mass shooting at a high school, the mainstream media shamelessly begins repeating the exact same gun control talking points before the suspect is even apprehended. Plus, why this shooting isn't really about gun control. This and much more on this episode of the Propaganda Report. I'm here with Monica Perez. Monica, how are you? I'm well. How are you, Brad? I'm good. I'm, I'm doing good. So there was a, a shooting yesterday. And Alleged. An alleged shooting. Look, I hate that I can't believe what's on the news. Not just today, but any day. I hate that I can't believe what they tell me. But I've studied the history of the news, propaganda, mass communications, and how it's all used to deceive people for far too long to have any other default position than that of always questioning the news, of always questioning this information that they're trying to put in our heads. I mean, history demands that we question it. However... I tend to believe that events – some are real. I believe that some events, some tragedies are very real. I believe that others are are real but engineered. I tend to believe that they are engineered as opposed to fake. Not that they can't fake events. I'm certain that they have the ability to do it. It is just my belief based on what I studied, and maybe on another show we can go on into the reasons why because I do have reasons why I tend to believe that. But I, you know, that's my belief. Either way, I do think that tragedies, real tragedies do happen, and I do want to have sympathy for any tragedy or whatever. I just want to – I don't – you know, I – this is why I it pisses me off that I can't believe what's on the news is this. I find that very frustrating also. We have no legitimate press. There is alternative media, but half of that, if not 90% of it, is disinformation. So I'm absolutely certain that the mainstream media is 100% propaganda. Not that it's 100% false, but it's 100% propaganda. It's there to propagate memes and ideas for policy purposes. Right. What you said there is 90% true, but it wouldn't work if it weren't 90% true. Exactly. That's a major point in the propaganda literature. They try to use as much truth as they possibly can. That way people can independently verify, so to speak, what the facts are, and that solidifies it in their mind and also builds trust from that source. Deep Throat, in the first episode of The X-Files, I think, said it well. He told Mulder that the best way to tell a lie is in between two truths, which is why it can be so maddening because you know you should question it. You know that you shouldn't be quick to believe it, but when you're being told truths from time to time. They can lure you in, you know? And I think they, they make a science of that. I think that's why they're so adept at the limited hangout is that they look at they, – they because I'm not great or I'm getting better, but I used to be real – you know, I realize what it is now. I used to watch a debate, and then I would watch the analysis afterwards and think, I'm so stupid. Because that's not what I got out of that debate at all. Now that I'm a little better at it, I'm like, oh, they're just making stuff up after the fact. But I do think that there's a bit of a science to how people react to certain certain uh, ideas and not others, like what stands out to them, how you can put critical analysis out there, but it's the emotionalism that'll get through to people. And they're just very good at that. And I think they've made, they can put a lot of truth out there. It's like invading Iraq because uh, Saudi Arabia did 9-11. I mean, 15 of the people were Saudi. So I'm not even saying the government did it. 15 of the people who in the official narrative were Saudi. 
yet we invaded Iraq. I mean, there's no critical analysis that would come up with that. But the way they they manipulate emotions, they 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 just did it. You know, they even if it's just railroading you, snow plowing you. And I feel, really feel like that's kind of what you get from the media. Yeah, well, we're emotional beings. We're not as Spock-like as we all like to believe that we are. Emotional logic and reason, it works together. It's not separate, but our emotions are automatic. A stimuli triggers it, and you know the response, we don't think about it. It just happens. Critical thought requires us to actively engage, to do that hard cognitive work that can easily be distracted by some emotional trigger, which is why it's easy to propagandize people through emotions. But we could do like a whole show on emotional appeals which might be fun maybe we will one day but you know what first why don't we show that or play that philip mudd clip because he attempts to use an emotional appeal related to the school shooting on on cnn's audience and he's just uh, kind of a ridiculous person he's a former cia and fbi agent who goes on cnn routinely and says over-the-top stuff here's an example of philip mudd attempting to use emotional appeals on the cnn audience phil mudd you're hearing these, uh, these accounts, what's going through your mind as someone who used to work at the FBI? You think it's antiseptic. It's not. I talked to a terrorist who almost died because he wanted to blow up a weapon, a car bomb. And he was sent to blow up that car bomb by ISIS and Al-Qaeda. And they didn't tell him he was going to blow up the car bomb. When he detonated, the car caught fire. It didn't blow up, and I talked to him after he lost a lot of his skins, his hands, his feet. I have 10 nieces and nephews. We're talking about bump stocks. We're talking about legislation. A child of God is dead. Cannot we acknowledge in this country that we, can't, we cannot accept this? I can't do it, Wolf. I'm sorry. We can't do it. Okay, that was Philip Mudd. FBI and CIA agent who went from revealing a CIA FBI method where they trick people into going and blowing themselves up and then having children talking about bump stocks and then a child of God. He went a long way <laughs> to breaking down into tears in that moment right there. Um, that that little piece of propaganda there. I hope that you can put that video in the show notes of this. He it's it's absolutely level literally makes me crack up i don't write lol because i rarely lol but i like lmfao <laughs> that one i just it's so preposterous and i i thought wolf cut away because it was so ridiculous that it would i i like i said to you i was like they're gonna pull this they're gonna pull this out of youtube because it's so reveals how what a made-up Sham it he is, but you're right. Time. He does. That's his stock and trade. And I said, I knew that you had brought that guy to my attention before, but this just seems uh, beyond anything that I've ever seen before. Yeah, Philip Mudd's a good one to watch out for every now and then. Maybe we'll play another one of his later on to lighten the mood after we've dove into the subject of the day. These mass shooting, school shootings, all this stuff, there's just no denying that. They, they just happen all the time now, and they didn't used to happen. And we've had guns in this country for hundreds of years. This, to me, there is absolutely no doubt in my mind. I'm not proving it to you. I'm not, I don't care what you think. I, there's no doubt in my mind this is a gladio operation. This is a strategy of tension, whatever. They're, I, I hope and pray that they are not actually killing people, but, uh, the, and, and the one, 
the one thing is that so because it's either false flags or they're hoaxes. In in my opinion, those are the only two possibilities. I don't even think they're provocations or any of that. Uh, one thing, and I shouldn't even say it out loud because I wouldn't want to jinx it, but that they never, I, I believe they never ever happen in private schools. They happen where in public schools that are controlled by the government, um, this school, the Let's sheriff. Update. Sorry. <laughs> okay, sorry. No, it's great. We'll get right back to it. Let's just give a quick background real quick. Here's the sheriff describing what happened on the day of the shooting. An Uber car dropped off the suspect at 2019 yesterday, 2.19 p.m. at Stoneman Douglas High School. The suspect entered the east stairwell, that's building 12, with a rifle inside a black, soft case. The suspect exited the stairwell, pulled the rifle out of the case. At 20, at 2.21 hours and 33 su- seconds, the suspect readied his rifle and began shooting into rooms 1215, 12.16, 12.14. He went back to 12.16, back to 12.15, and then to 12.13. The suspect then took the west stairwell to the second floor and shot one victim in room 12.34, on the second floor. The suspect then took the east stairwell to the third floor. He dropped his rifle and backpack, ran down the stairs. He exited building 12 and ran towards the tennis courts and then took a southbound turn on foot. The suspect crossed fields and ran west along with others who were fleeing and tried to mix in with the group that were running away, fearing for their lives. The suspect arrived at the Walmart store. He bought a drink at the subway and then left the Walmart on foot. The suspect went to McDonald's, sat down for a short period of time. This was at 3.01 p.m. And he left on foot. At 3.41 p.m., 40 minutes after he departed from the McDonald's, the suspect was detained at 4700 Wyndham Lakes Drive in Coral Springs by an officer from the Coconut Creek Police Department. He was taken into custody without incident. All right. And there was actually a student who said that she spoke with him while she was walking out and that she heard shooting like right right before she saw him, so she believes that there was a second shooter. I had audio of that and actually didn't believe the girl at first, but she might have been telling the truth. I'll see if I can find that. What were you saying about the sheriff before that clip? Sheriff Scott Israel, who's, to me, a very fishy character. He was fishy during the Fort Lauderdale airport shooting. Uh, His kids went to this school where this took place, although I haven't heard him announce that. I found it in an old article. And uh, it's... You see the same faces. Pam Bondi, she seemed to be kind of inside track. This guy, Scott Israel. Uh, Who's is that? Who's Pam Bundy? Pam Bondi, I think she's the attorney general. And didn't wasn't she in some kind of campaign finance scandal with the Trump uh, campaign? I meant to Google it before we came here. But she she's definitely in bed. I, well, I shouldn't say definitely. I'd have to confirm it. But I believe she's kind of in bed with the Trump administration 
Uh, Rick Scott's been overseeing a lot of what I think are for sure false flags from because he's the governor of Florida. So from Fort Lauderdale to the airport to this to the Orlando thing um, to that like singer getting shot. I even think the baby getting eaten by an alligator was like a little fishy. No pun intended. And um, but this guy, Scott Israel, he like he's the Broward County Sheriff. He oversees a two billion dollar budget, if I read correctly, 6000 people. He was in a fight uh, to become sheriff against a guy who was supposedly being managed by Roger Stone. He himself, Scott Israel, was uh, immediately kind of called out for taking a hundred and fifty thousand dollar private chartered yacht cruise and claiming it as a fifteen hundred dollar expense. And it was paid for by um, a guy named Rob Pereira. It said he kind of funneled the money through a pro-Israel pack to pay for this thing. Like, why would why would a pro-Israel pack even be involved in a Broward County sheriff race? You know what I'm saying? And then, so this guy seems to be connected at a much higher level than you would expect from a from a, I would think from a sheriff. And I wonder, you know, what's, what's going on is Broward, you know, is it the new Miami vice? Is it the new kind of place where, uh, black money gets funneled into this country? You know what I mean? Like there's, there's always those fishy things happen and some local guy like the Mena, Arkansas thing, or, um, where they were, the Bushes and the Clintons were, Funneling cocaine through Mena, Arkansas. Like I, I don't know where what's going. Why Broward County is would be so important that it would get the attention of a pro-Israel pack and Roger Stone, or have that kind. You know, so I don't know. But this guy strikes me as fishy. His kid went to the school. Uh, these guys all came out with a press conference. But every single person in this press conference had an agenda item. Yeah, they did, and they were driving their agendas home pretty hard too. Oh, well, you know, another thing that was just very branded about this was how two of the people at the press conference I'm talking about. So this morning, what is it, Thursday, February 15th, 2018, this was in it's Broward County. This morning, there was a press conference that had Sheriff Scott Israel, Governor Rick Scott, FBI in charge guy Rob Lasky, Pam Bondi, who I think is the attorney general of uh, Florida, and Ron Runcie, who's the superintendent of schools. Ron Runcie and Pam Bondi spent a lot of time, a lot of time emphasizing how you need to go to the official GoFundMe site. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they right. just said it that. over and over. I felt like I was watching uh, you know, a cheap movie where the guy keeps turning the can so you can read Bud Light perfectly. You know what I mean? Yeah, a little GoFundMe product placement. Yeah, I think it's how they pay off the actors who are involved in this. These people get money. You know, you they they all get money. (laughs) So if you go to the Sandy Hook thing, the families all got big piles of money. Absolutely. I think that that would happen either way, whether something was a genuine event or whether it's not. Exploit the crisis. They just are not waiting for crises anymore. They they have a gun control agenda and they got it in their minds that this was how to get it done. And they know that there's a saturation point. They actually do. Uh, I'm sure they do computer models of like, what is the saturation point where people's opinion over policy changes? 
Right. See, I don't think this is a gun control agenda. I think the gun control agenda is more of a distraction. Is well, like let me we, clarify. We talked about as part of the dialectic. Yes. I don't think the gun control issue will ever be resolved because I believe gun control and abortion are the two things that keep the two party system going, and it all rests in who is who is going to be the next Supreme Court justice. And I would just like to offer people a solution to that problem is that states should nullify invalid Supreme Court decisions and not follow those rules. That I actually believe that the Supreme Court's original purpose was not to validate or invalidate laws based on constitutionality, but to resolve disputes. And that the original uh, resolution of whether or not a congressional action was constitutional or unconstitutional was simply state nullification where you, you just don't enforce that law. You reject it. And that's what I think they should do. They should reject Roe versus Wade, which is an unconstitutional violation of the 10th Amendment. You should run on that platform. I'm an anarchist, man. I can't run. That's that's how you say it. You say you run, you win, and then you're done. <laughs> and I destroy the government. So, yeah, you're done. I don't it's know. I don't know. I think the political agenda they're pushing with this is increased policing of social media and lowering the standard of probable cause, especially as applied to what people post on social media. Some of the themes that have been pushed are everybody predicted it, the FBI was warned, suspects disturbing social media post, see something, say something. I must have heard 50 people say see something, say something. Here are – some clips that I put together, kind of a montage of clips from the sheriff's press conference today. And I threw in a clip from a CBS pundit. The Baker Act in Florida allows law enforcement or medical professionals to confine a person involuntarily while they get examined and looked at. But you have to have a reason. You have to be able to articulate that they're a threat to themselves or a threat to someone else. What I'm asking our lawmakers to do is go back to places like Tallahassee, places like Washington, D.C., and give police the power if they see something on social media, if they see graphic pictures of rifles and blood and gore and guns and bombs, if they see something, horrific language. We need to have the power to take that person and bring them before mental health professionals at that particular time involuntarily and have them examined. People are going to be rightfully so concerned about their rights, as am I. But what about the rights of these students? Don't they have the right to be protected by the United States government? If we see something, we, we need to say something. Uh, you know, you're our eyes and ears. If, if, you, if you know anybody, right now, if you know anybody and you're saying, you know what, this raises a red flag. I was thinking of calling us. Don't think about calling us. Call us. Call the FBI, call the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, call the Broward Sheriff's Office. If there's something in your gut that tells you there's something not right with this person, this person has the capabilities in my mind to do this or do that, please don't remain silent. Please let us know about it. What's more important, though, is, is you talked about the, the, the sort of the early warning system, the see something, say something. This kid was flashing red. There were neon signs over his left shoulder from his social media posts. Uh, he was he was about to go off, and I, I've seen his social media posts from two years ago, and he's posing with weapons, he's posing with knives, he's making threats. 219 followers. That's 219 chances that someone could have picked up the phone and made a phone call. 
This is mo the most egregious example of nobody picking up the phone and making that call. So it's digital, see something, say something. Just and like China. We were just talking about that when we talked about the police state coming to China and all the foreshadowing that was in there. And I actually looked it up and they have this app where you rat on people. And then uh, and and what it does, it offers you rewards. Like in the old days, you rat on the guy next door, you got all his belongings or you got his apartment or whatever. That's how it happened in Nazi Germany and also in Mao's China. But I talked about on the air about the hashtag Me Too thing that Justin Amash was one of only three congressmen who voted against a law that would make it a federal crime for a person who works with amateur athletes not to report suspected child abuse. Yep. So federal. So in China, they give you rewards for snitching. Here, they give you a punishment for not switching, which is much, much worse, of course, to go to jail for not reporting a suspicion. It doesn't even say your own suspicion. It's just if, it's, if there's a suspicion. So does that mean you have to report rumors? This is also a theme that came up in the Orlando. There's been the Orlando Pulse shooting was that this pre-crime, the social media thing, uh, the, they, I, I predicted or I, uh, it didn't surprise me that they actually, I think, brought up his wife on charges for, uh, the Orlando guy that, that if you were, you're like proactively responsible for sounding the alarm. Oh, yeah. And in this case, it looks like they're trying to lower the standard of probable cause as it applies to social media and maybe everywhere because people did see something and people did say something and nothing was done, as this clip illustrates. Former classmates who spoke with ABC News paint the teen as trouble. About a year ago, I saw him upset in the morning and I was like, what's up with you? He's like, I swear to God, I'll shoot up this school. And then I was like, yo, watch what she's saying around me. And then... I just uh, left him after that. That student tells us he warned school officials. Cruz was eventually expelled from Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, the campus he would allegedly turn into a hunting ground. He got in a fight with this one kid, and then um, uh, from what I know, he wasn't allowed to bring his backpack because they found the bullet casings in it. I think everyone in the school had it back in their mind. If anyone was, was supposed to do it, it was most likely going to be him. Now, there was a social media user on YouTube who was posting comments with the same name as the alleged shooter, Nicolas Cruz, saying he wanted to kill different groups of people. Now, this morning, BuzzFeed is reporting that one YouTube user noticed this and alerted the FBI because one of the posts from the alleged shooter said, I'm going to be a professional school shooter. Now, the FBI followed up, but it's unclear if it ever led back to Cruz. I think the idea of everyone knew that is a recurring theme. And I think where that's going is the real point of what the sheriff was saying, that we should be able to arrest people even if he said the Baker Act requires that people who know him are can articulate that he's a threat to himself or others. We want to do away with that requirement so that law enforcement can unilaterally decide who they take into custody against their will without grounds for arrest. You know what I mean? So that, yeah. that just by the way, this is a really important reason why you can never have the police federalized. I mean, it's happening, but you want to have layers of police because once your police is a federal force and it's allowed to take people into custody without any reason whatsoever, then that and hold them indefinitely based on me mental illness grounds, for example, 
that's when you have a real Stasi, a thought police, a political police. That's where all this is going. But what they want to say is people knew, but we have process. So my guess is what you're right. going to hear over the next couple of days is the FBI followed their process. It was exactly yep. what happened with Orlando. And, and what can we do? We're not allowed to hold people without grounds. We should be able to hold people for no reason whatsoever because we, we're good guys. So then you also hear every single person, especially the president, always points out how great and trustworthy and heroic and superhuman all law enforcement is. You can always trust them. If you can trust anybody, you can trust them. Give them the power. Trust them, trust them, trust them, trust them, trust them. And this comes on top of Facebook announcing, I think maybe a month ago or so, that they would be alerting the local authorities if they noticed a pattern where they believed that a user was going to commit suicide. So they could send somebody out to get them. Mm-hmm. which is kind of in the same vein as this. If somebody's social media activity indicates they could be a harm to themselves or to others, then they can be committed involuntarily. Yeah, so this that's what he wrote this comment on YouTube. Clearly the process doesn't work because the vlogger notified the FBI. The FBI contacted the vlogger and it died on the vine. Why? I'm sure we'll discover because we do not have uh, uh, the ability to unilaterally take people into custody indefinitely without without corroborated grounds. So what he's saying is right now people who know you, people in the community have to say something about you. He that I mean I, I'm emphasizing it but he is asking that the government on its own without any accusations from anyone based on what they say they saw on your social media can confine you indefinitely is what it sounds like to me. Uh, that's what it sounds like to me as well. And if there's not clearly defined terms, then it's a really slippery slope, which kind of brings me to my next question. Yeah, okay. If someone does appear to be a threat, though, what is to be done in order to stop somebody? Here's the thing. It's oh, I was reading about gun crime, that that great Harvard. I don't know if it was the Harvard Law Review it was Harvard something policy review about uh, if if. Fewer guns result in fewer murders. That's the basic question tried to answer. And it brought out that gun crime is virtually, virtually never is anyone murdered with a gun, like a stranger during a crime or whatever, by a person, the by a first time gun using criminal. It's all, it's like, People don't die from doing heroin who never had a drink or smokes pot. There's just nobody who's ever died of heroin who's never done anything but heroin, basically, right? So so this idea that just completely random people with no history whatsoever of anything is a meme that they're – that they're pushing, but it's not real. That's why fake news – and, and I'm not talking about the propaganda meme that fake news has become, but actually not having the truth in media reports, having all the spin, having unverified stories, anonymous sources, no evidence. The problem with all of that is that they get to put things out there that they are calling facts that are not true. And what we do with facts is we put them in our brains and we use them to assess 
what real threats are, what the truth is, what the world is like. And if you really look at what the media is telling you happens and how things you are told happens, what they're saying and what they're showing on these YouTube videos and their press conferences are a lot more like movies and TV shows than what you've ever witnessed in your own life. And I know a couple of people who have known people who have been murdered. I know people who have died of drugs. I know people who have been uh, molested and harassed. I know people who have been the victims or I know people have had the flu. I know people who have had all the things, all the problems that we hear about in the media. And the way it's ha- it happens in real life is I would say as a body, very different from how the news reports it. The news reports it much more the way it's depicted in movies and TV. So so what you're saying is what happens when this, you know, we have this crazy epidemic of a bunch of lunatics without warning doing horrendous crimes. And I say, no, you don't. And And that the fundamental law that has emerged from humanity or handed down from God, whatever you see it over 10,000 years of human civilization reflect how people actually are and the protections that we need and the liberties that we can live with. So they're creating uh, uh, threats that are not realistic, or you can counter and say the, that the trade-off of liberty and law is designed to protect you from, so you have your own guns and that protects you from this random thing that people with guns is a safer environment. I agree with that. Let me scale it back then. Can I just say one more thing? Yeah. There are tried and true protocols. It's like the sexual harassment thing. You can prove it. You can record it. You can sue. You can get damages. The processes are already there. They work and they are, you know, you can get people committed if they're a threat to themselves or others. That is a fine way of doing it. Okay, yeah, so that that would be what I was looking for there because I was going to say there even if we're not talking about mass shootings, everybody has a friend on Facebook who has a few too many 3 a.m. posts when they've had a little bit too much to drink that makes you wonder, is this person about to do something? And but the, I, but the difference between the, – the hit rate on that is astronomical. Absolutely. A lot of people mouth off drunk at three in the morning. Well, very, I, very, very few people without a history of violence go and do something random. You know, I mean, that's just the the world at large is not at risk from some random 3 a.m. angry drunk. Well, it's not always a random 3 a.m. A- angry drunk. Sometimes it's a pattern of behavior from someone who does end up becoming violent right and i'm saying the first act of violence is not a mass shooting i know but i'm what i'm asking is not about the mass shooting it's about at what point in time does it appear that someone this person is about to do something at what point uh, it's a pattern i mean i can tell you myself before my sister died she ended up um she she was a drug addict. She attempted suicide, whether it was a cry for help, a real suicide attempt. I really don't know. She survived. She was in the hospital. They cleaned her up. And it was clear after she was clear from drugs that she had developed an underlying mental illness after decades of drug use. It was clear to me that she 
was really not, she was a danger to herself and others. She had gotten repeatedly stopped um, driving under the influence. She would bang up her car. She attempted suicide. She uh, was clean for the first time in probably her entire life. So she was immediately going to go out and kill herself with drugs, which is exactly what she did. And we are on record telling them that don't release her. We tried to get her committed and they wouldn't even fill out the application to get her committed to a hospital. Liberty is, you know, the starting point for liberty is a reflection of a competent adult. So you can't say you can't be a libertarian because what, do, what about the children or what about the lunatics? It's a, the liberty, you know, I'm not going to solve all the problems of libertarianism or, or the new or discuss the nuances of every little thing. But I'm just saying it was clear to us that she had that problem, but they they didn't have enough beds. And I would say that if you are going to have a state, I'm a libertarian, I'm an anarchist, basically, an anarcho-capitalist, but if you're going to have a coercive monopoly state under the guise of providing basic public services, then people who are a real physical threat to themselves or others should be the spending priority. So our state, local, and federal governments spend $7 trillion a year out of a total of whatever it is, 20 trillion or 19 trillion of GDP. If you're going to spend a third of every single penny that people produce in this country, then spend it on the basic, uh, you know, safety protocols according to the process that you already have established. We went through the process and they just didn't have the beds or whatever, you know, it just, it broke down at that level. It'll be interesting to see how they apply it if they push forward with this agenda to see if they apply it to people in maybe domestic abuse situations or if they are just going to apply it selectively. Right. They don't have the capacity. It's not that they are looking for they're rounding up everybody they can and it's not enough. They want to round up who they want. to. They don't want to help you. They don't want to help you with your drug addict sister. They want to make sure that people like you and me are uh, because that's what it is. When you look at it, he's saying. They want specific uh, people. Yeah, and they want yeah. people who uh, – one theme that comes up all the time is loner. This is how they describe the kid as like clearly mentally ill. He was a loner who liked guns. Now, if liking guns makes you mentally ill, you know, being a gun nut makes you mentally ill, that de facto puts everybody incarcerated who is good with guns, like vets, army vets. I mean, they, they know how to use guns, and you could you could say – uh, no one could really be a hundred percent, uh, perfect after experiencing the horrors of war. I mean, it'd be yeah. very easy. And they do target vets for that. The Chris Kyle thing, I think, plays into that a bit. That American sniper was killed by a PTSD guy he took out at a shooting range. I don't believe that yeah. story. But yeah, I mean, it's just like, it's similar. It, to me, the processes are in place. We have, we have law and they, and like with radical terror, they say, like Mark, Michael Chertoff will say, the founders didn't anticipate this. It's like, yes, they did. There were pirates. These people are pirates. There are organizations that operate outside a legitimate sovereign entity, and there are there's recourse for that. You can't bomb a city full of innocent civilians for something, for a, a single criminal hiding in the caves in the outskirts of town did, you know, without your consent. At what point would you say that they could? Bomb a bunch of civilians? No, not bomb a bunch of civilians, but hit back in another country that we determine is attacking us. What is that line? At what point is another country attacking us? I think if you 
like if the story of bin Laden was true, that, that Pakistan knew he was in there and they were giving him safe haven, uh, you know, I, I can't, I can't uh, object right off the bat and say, well, we couldn't go in there and extract him. Like we wouldn't have the right to do that because he's an actual threat to us. But I'll say this. I, I can't, I mean, these laws, I'm actually reading a book. It's like a probably 600 page book called the law by Renee Wormser, who wrote foundations, their influence and power. And I've talked about that before. It's from the House Un-American Activities Committee in the 50s that said, do tax-exempt foundations have an un-American influence on society? And he concluded, yes, they did. And they just scrapped his report and and <laughs> ignored it. Yeah. But he wrote a great book about that. And I happened to stumble upon another book he wrote was The Law. And it's, it's the history of our laws from uh, basically Noah to, um, to today, to when he wrote the book in 1950. And I'm interested in the overview of the law, really understand it. But if you want me to tell you what is the the tried and true process for piracy or for extracting a criminal from another, like, can we go into Sicily and get mobsters out? Uh, you know, I'd have to look at what the law says. And, and maybe if I were an expert at it, in good faith, assess you know, what, what I think the impact would be. But the, the fact is with thousands of years of law, what we've come up with is like Vattel's law of nations. They have come up with these standards of how these things are dealt with. And that has two benefits. One is that presumably their standards, because they have been effective with the least kind of backlash with the least uh, collateral damage. And the other is that they're predictable. So you can operate within this scenario and know this is what you can expect. So looking at tried and true laws is is important. Following the process is important. Taking away rights because you act like there's a new a new man in the world, a new a new type of human nature is it's not valid because there isn't. Yeah. They argue that there's a new type of society and therefore these new rules need to be implemented that we just need to follow that also happen to kind of infringe on everybody's rights. Scott Israel, the sheriff, kind of alluded to this today in his press conference when he was saying in this day and age that we're living in right now, this is this is just how we have to live. It's not a motto. It's how we have to live. You see something, you say something. Well, I will tell you, there are two answers that they don't ever talk about. Why not? The two answers are self-defense and competition. So you can start by self-defense. If you have, a, you only die one way. They take your life and meet space. That's how you die. And and how do they do it? They do it with guns and knives and bombs and stuff, right? So if you protect yourself, you got a little house alarm, you got a couple of guns, you're probably a lot safer than anything they could ever do, certainly from taking their stuff away. And if you have competition. So if YouTube had a thousand different, you know, competitive, like Gab AI against Twitter, if Gab gets too weirdly neo-Nazi, only... Neo-Nazis are going to go there. You know what I'm saying? It's just, so now they'll take YouTube and they'll say, okay, uh, YouTube needs to be responsible for like the way Facebook is now going to be responsible for people who might commit suicide. YouTube needs to be responsible 
for the comments there. And then if that's true, they just hire 10,000 censors to physically, to like humanly look at that stuff. How is YouTube ever going to have any competition if, let's say that's a regulation? They are never going to have any competition if the first thing a competitor has to do is hire 10,000 human beings. I mean, the beauty of the <laughs> yeah. internet you know, has always been the fact that it should be a complete, it should be a wash with competitors on everything from search engines to YouTube to Twitter to Facebook. It should be, it should be local or national. I mean, there should be thousands of competitors. And that's why I smell a rat with all this stuff. And then you wouldn't, uh, you wouldn't have the kind of Russians infiltrated uh, Facebook. And that alone changed the outcome of the election. Competition always saps that kind of systemic, if you will, power because it drills down. It levels the playing field. There's nothing that can't be competed out of a position of power. You said something that reminded me of this because I just saw this pop up that a white supremacy group has claimed that the shooter was a member of their group. But the Spanish name pronounced in a Spanish is Nicolas Cruz. Well, however it's pronounced, the New York Times is reporting that a white supremacy group has claimed him. All right, I want to play you a quick clip of something that Don Lemon dropped in the middle of his mass shooting coverage. You know how over the past few weeks, CNN, asshole has been one of their favorite words. Oh, my gosh. They were just so mad that Trump said – or Trump allegedly said that word. So took the fun out of vulgarity. I I barely use vulgarity anymore. Can you believe that? They ruined it for you. Don Lemon, in this clip, he calls himself and CNN out, I think inadvertently. But in the clip, they're playing audio from inside the shooting, and you can hear the kids swear. Well, you can't hear them swearing because they bleeped it out, and Lemon has some commentary on the fact that they bleeped it out. You know what's interesting to me, Martin, and it's you know not that you had anything to do with this, but we bleeped out the expletives instead of the gunfire. I think the gunfire is much more offensive than someone saying bad words. Those bad words don't cause lives to be lost and people to mourn in the morning. They just cause this fake outrage about, oh, my gosh, I can't believe they said that. <laughs> so he's overtly encouraging profanity. I mean, they were re- I told you there was a there was a movement for profanity. Can I tell I you mean, something? He admitted it's fake outrage, too, over the profanity. That it's fake outrage? He said the oh, profanity oh my just gosh, fake outrage. Is- was the perpetrator of fake outrage i know that's what I'm oh, that's super funny yeah that's super funny um but i have to say this is terrible i really really feel bad about this it's bumming me out yesterday was ash wednesday i asked my daughter what she gave up for lent and uh she said i can't tell you i said why she said because you'll never let me start doing it again i said what are you talking about she's like i can't tell you do you want to know swearing <laughs> said, right she got, <laughs> she's like i gave up cussing or whatever and i was like dude that's such a bummer and then i tried to explain to her how the dorks ruined cussing for me the way calvin klein ruined harley's and fenders that i knew when when uh whatever christian bale or whoever it was is sitting on a harley in his underwear that harley's were just too yuppified to ever be cool again (laughs) and uh and i was like look when i saw anderson cooper and uh van jones whatever his name is you know, saying asshole a thousand times. I was like, dude, I don't know. I can't. Oh, man. The I dorks, sh- dorks have ruined cussing for me. And she's yeah. like, oh, really? I said, yeah, kind of like, um, 
tattoos, you know, if you really have to, some people get them or do them just because they want to seem cool. But if they're not actually cool, it's not cool. And she's like, but I am actually cool. It's like, forget it. (laughs) She said, I think that's not what she said. What she said was, I think cussing adds character and I have character. I was like, she has a point, but it's, and actually, I don't know. I felt bad because I'm kind of going off cussing now. After all these years, after my long life, nothing has ever really gotten me to quit but watching people like Don Lemon uh, say cuss words with such glee. Did you get a chance to see the video of Phil Mudd declaring himself a proud (laughs) s-holer? I knew that he was your guy. Um, uh, Yeah, I did. I saw that when you turned me on to it originally. Well, he repeated the same performance on multiple shows. Let's see if he can give us an illustration of what Don Lemon was just talking about a moment ago. I do have to give a warning for those listening about the language you're about to hear. But keep in mind that this language was used on CNN at like 5 o'clock whenever Wolf Blitzer's show is on. So this was on regular television in the middle of the day. Well, close your ears, Wolf, because I'm going to give you a reaction, and it's personal. I'm a proud shitholer. <laughs> My family was called Wops and Mackerel Eaters. We came from Italians and Irish who were regarded as people from shithole countries. <laughs> a century ago, we called people slant eyes, Chinese immigrants that we're now ashamed of speaking about in those terms because they came from a shithole country, and now they're a backbone of this country. In the 1940s, we called people traitors because they came from a shithole country we called Japan and were ashamed. We called people who fled from conflict in Central America spicks and wetbacks and were ashamed. The president is growing this country on the backbone of bigotry that comes from when I saw my family called spicks, wops, and mackerel eaters. We should be ashamed. We've learned too many lessons, and history will tell you that if you don't read history, you'll repeat them. That's what our president did for us today. I am not proud. There's some of that fake outrage Don Lemon was just talking about. He really trips over his words. Like when he said that the ISIS guy lost his skins. I'm like, what is he, like a leather trader? Like, what skin I know. did he I, I think he was just weird. genuine and rough, and I'm just, I'm losing my mind. I'm so emotional, <laughs> I can't even talk right now. Philip Mudd, FBI, CIA, CNN, all torn up about it. I encourage anybody listening to watch the video. His tears really add to it. Not the most authentic thing in the world. Well, let me just say this. I'm not crying. And I'm not some hardened FBI counterterrorism expert. Yeah. I'm a mom. Like the whole first part of that clip of his, it's just so loaded. He's talking to a terrorist that lost his whole, his skins and his no, it's hands. it's so bizarrely irrelevant. And then a child of God is dead and I have nieces and nephews. Like it was, you know what? Yeah. He's mentally ill and he should be indefinitely detained, Uh, you know. He needs to be questioned. First of all, (laughs) his kids, if his his nieces and nephews are talking about gun stocks, they need to get outside and go play. (laughs) I've never heard any kids sitting around talking about, you know, mom and dad, what about the gun stocks? And if he's talking to a terrorist, I mean, who's this terrorist he's talking to? That was a really loaded rant he went on. It was was so incoherent, though. And that's why he does it. He's why he does, whenever he says that stuff that's like revealing those methods, yeah. he's talking crazy. Uh, 
I mean, he's just a propaganda. I want to point out something that um, was in that press conference I was talking about that, came, you know, that Baker Act comment from Sheriff Scott Israel was one of the clips you played that came out of that press conference from this morning. Ron Runcie, the superintendent of schools, spoke. He, I noticed that Trump, Rick Scott, the governor, this guy, Ron Runcie, uh, all these people had like, uh, it's as if they were assigned, you know, there's like eight bullet points, memes, agenda items, whatever. Yeah. And they were each assigned two or three so that they, everybody, every meme got said twice. You know what I mean? Like two different people had every meme, but no oh, yeah. two people had the same two memes. Like it really, if you did like a Venn diagram, I think it would be very like formulaic. So one of the things that, uh, so Ron Runcie was saying, exactly echoed what Rick Scott said. We need to have an honest discussion about gun control right now. We need to have the real conversation about gun control. And um, Trump said, this must never happen again at any school. And Rick Scott said, we, the first thing we need to do is say, this never happens again at any school. But one of the other things that Ron Runcie said, which nobody else said is these kids know that know what needs to be done. So we can do it for them in this generation. And I hope we do. But if we don't, they will do it. That generation is the one who's going to do it. And that's very telling, in my opinion. First of all, if you go back to the old Eric Holder clip where he says we have to brainwash kids about guns and then he talks about how you do that. Uh, and that's what they're doing. And this is that I don't I don't know if this is the long march through the institutions or incrementalism or whatever, but it's a very long term plan. They have some patience. I don't, you know, I don't know why they are so, when you look at the, that stuff from the World Economic Forum and how, how methodical they are about controlling every aspect of society and how that is an institution, those Marshall Plan era think tanks, especially that were set up in Europe and have their uh, tentacles over here, that they, they do they do have very long-term plans and social control, population control, gun control. These are all like essential elements of it, or they're not going to be able to run the world. So they have time, but I think it's very telling that you can see there's a longer term plan here. Like when I say Trump was put in there to kind of complete the fundamental transformation of this country that Obama got started and everything from surveillance to censorship to gun control um, to federalizing things over states' rights, all of that stuff, even if it's to get some people like a Pied Piper in his wake and and the rest of the people to embrace some of these elements as a reaction to him. Uh, all of that, all of this stuff is a, you know, people don't believe me because they don't see that we're talking about decades-long plans. I mean, the first time Donald Trump talked about being president was on Oprah in 1988. So uh, I'm not saying it was written in the in stone, but he was in that hopper, and I'm sure Obama was too, of useful people. Both of their families had these, these backstories of being connected to the deep state. And uh, I'm just saying that they're they're – these things are very long-term plans. You can see the give and take. He's like, let's try to get it done now. But if we can't, these kids, you know, you've lost them. You know, it's the, it's this disconnection. This generation, I think, will make be the final disconnect between uh, 
the true American values, the their parents' values that has never been possible before. And Carol Quigley said in Tragedy and Hope was uh, technology is a big way to do that is just to separate the kids from the parents. And I think that's, I think that's why the, you know, that's the last straw. I'm not saying they're going to get the guns away because it's so per, it's so important for the two party dialectic to keep that gun issue at the Supreme court level, but they certainly want, they don't want anything that what, what I dubbed resistance grade weaponry. They don't want, um, body armor, anything that can get you to resist. Oh, yeah. These guys are definitely big picture thinkers. Bernays talks about that all the time. Other propagandists do as well. I mean, they're thinking 10, 20, 50 years ahead with their plans. They can sit up there in ivory towers because they're all loaded, and they don't have to worry about a lot of the everyday worries that other people do, and they just keep society anxious all the time so that we're all kind of thinking day to day, week to week, month to month, and they're implementing plans that are going decade to decade. So. Well, this this particular episode, what we're talking about today, event, really, for me, betrays the kind of levels of what we're talking about. So you're talking about people in ivory towers or uh, castles in the sky or whatever who can look at this stuff that you see that there are footprints all over that world economic forum thing and Bernays and that very, very high level stuff. But then you see all the people in this press conference, every one of them, Rick Scott, Scott Israel, Rob Lasky, Pam Bondi, Ron Runcie, all of those people who, uh, you know, certainly you see, see Pam Bondi had some financial transaction with the Trump campaign. Scott Israel had the transaction with this international Israeli PAC. Um, Rick Scott is, you know, on the scene with this stuff. They're all promoting the agenda. But when you see them having been connected in the background with, say, a financial scandal or payoff situation, whatever, you can see that at this level, these ambitious, you know, you call them bureaucrats, mid-level operators, high staff position administrators, like however, however you want to uh identify them they don't care they don't want to know about the big picture at all they they want to be quote successful they want to go on yachts they want to be in the limelight a little bit you know what i mean they just this is how they're making their careers and they know how the game is played. You know what I mean? Like they don't feel bad about it. And they convince themselves, I think, that they're doing good. Well, of course, we should get rid of guns. It's like, okay, but you're working for the evil empire. You know, like you're working for people who want to take the guns away because they want to enslave your children, you know, without their even knowing it, that kind of thing. But people aren't going to, it's that ethical glass ceiling. Like you stop asking the question, is what I'm doing wrong when you get to an answer that says what I'm doing is right? You don't oh, ask absolutely. the next question once you get to that question. Yeah. And and you can just see these petty operators here getting out there. I mean, that Scott Israel guy is a good actor. Yeah, that press conference, I, I didn't like him very much. Well, he's got that, that strong conference. New York accent, which is so weird to me. I'm a, I'm a New Yorker. I have a New York accent. But his just seems so out of place. I don't know how they they go for him down there. And I did see that his college, where he went to college, they never write that it was in New York, but it's called Cortland State. And the only one I could find was was in New York. 
and he's got such a strong New York accent, but it's not on his bio. It's nowhere to be found. They they like basically sheep dip him, but he has that terrible accent. Yeah, I didn't like the way that he kept emphasizing that we needed to see something and say something like right now, this very second, we just need to tell on somebody is what it sounded like. I cut that clip short. He repeated that over and over and over again throughout that. And what about when he said right before that was, I want to tell, I have a message for you in Broward County. Don't vote for anyone who talks about cutting spending. We need more cops, which, of yeah. course, is his power base. He has two billion billion with a B dollars and 6,000 people who work for him, and he wants more. And that is, I remember when I worked for Citibank, my boss said, act busy. I said, I got nothing to do, man. We got too many little low-level bankers here. He said, no. Power in organizations like this is directly tied to headcount. You can't figure out something to do. I'll replace you with two other people who can. <laughs> I was yeah. like, okay, <laughs> I will make work up, you know, I did. I mean, I didn't stay at that job very long, but I remember thinking ever after that, he's like, you never give up your budget. You never give up your headcount. And, and the way to be successful is to grow all that. And that is to me, the underlying driver for a high level bureaucrat like this guy. He said, don't, if they're talking about millage rates or saving money, no, this is the time to save lives. I mean, it's really messed up. Very manipulative. It made me think he was working for bankers, you know, like the Trump too. Everybody's all about increasing the debt. I mean, it's almost unabashed just purely for, that's what makes me think the interest rates are going to rise. Like you think, well, who cares about the debt when the interest rates are so low? Well, we have 20 trillion of debt. Now, if the interest rates go up to whatever was considered normal, those bankers will just own, own us all, own the whole country, every single road every pebble every pebble but i mean even with these public private partnerships i always wonder what's the end game are you really going to have carlos slim owning every single uh you know what it is it becomes a private monopoly so there's no transparency but there's also no competition because they have like a single contract with the government that's why i hate that stuff give me private enterprise but don't give me government that the government takes the responsibility for providing these services and then contracts it out to their crony, you know, gives the guy a trip on a yacht and then he gets the, you know, the low level politician gets a trip on a yacht and the other guy gets a monopoly of telecom for the rest of his life or water or whatever. Everybody else gets enslaved. I mean, I'm not trying to oversimplify it or even be like the most, the most like negative person. But when I dig into this stuff, I'm like, come on, I got to lighten up. And I dig in, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe how much worse it is than I thought. You know, like, I don't know, man, it's freaky. Why do they care so much? Why do they care so much about the guns? Because they're making this stuff up. They're doing it themselves. It's either false flags or a hoax, but they're, it's coming from them. Because, or they're always ready with the same agenda. Why? 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 Why is it so important? Well, part of it's a dialectic. Part of it's to keep us distracted. They want to give the population something to argue about while behind the scenes, you know, they do the stuff they don't want us looking into. They don't want us needling in. Yeah, I get that. But they they are 
focus it. Let's just take the mental health. People should be able to be incarcerated without any, any charges against them, without anybody filing a complaint. Yeah. The, you know, why, why do they want to do that? Why do they want to do that? For sure, because they're going to abuse it. Obviously. It's not necessary. They could have taken my sister off the street. You know, she was she was within 24 hours of her being released. So she died about 24 hours after she was released. She had already been stopped by the cops driving erratically. So, you know what I'm saying? They had yeah. her. They could have taken that person off the street. They didn't. That's not what they want. They don't want bodies in mental institutions. They want the power to take you away. Yeah, definitely. Why? What's the end game? There's an end game. And that's why I always end up back in the bottom of the rabbit hole. Somebody is amassing power across the globe, you know, yeah, there. And that's yeah. when you look at that World Economic Forum, they have they have people everywhere. The Trilateral Commission makes sure it's Europe, North America and Asia. They have everybody everywhere doing the exact same things, implementing these plans. I bet if you went to Australia or England, you'd see the same memes. Oh, absolutely. So, you know what I mean? It makes me not able to back away from the conclusion that they're up to no good and big no good. Big worldwide, every single person no good. They're pursuing their self-interest. And a lot of times, whatever those specific interests might be, they're going to come into conflict with the interest of the broader public. But I think their self-interest is is not the way we think of self-interest. I think it's their bigger, organized, inter like transgenerational. You know what I mean? Like they... Yeah. It's not just like how you think of it. They've got a big plan. And I think, and that's when people start, um, you know, the next step might be a cult, you know, or aliens. Like you, you might take like another step that just takes it out of the realm of something you can even conceive of, but you could just keep it at the level of, I don't know what, super ego or something where it's important for you as a powerful person to not like leave your mark on society but shape the future of humanity. You know what I'm saying? Like Bill Gates seems to be that kind of megalomania. Bill Gates is absolutely like that. It's like, it. like Khan from Star Trek. Yeah, but doesn't Bill Gates strike you as like surprise, like not, not as sharp as, like if you ever see him interviewed, you're just like, wow, you do not seem like the he smartest guy in the world. He like a dork. But he seems he's, not smart you know. though. He doesn't even seem smart. Like not sharp. I, I shouldn't disparage my, it's very hard to tell some of these. Bill Gates Sharp is trying to control gene drives. Gene drives are known in the EU and DARPA as the doomsday technology because it can wipe out invasive species. Oh, the mosquito thing that you said he was releasing into Florida, another Florida into Africa. Right? I think they sent some around Florida too when they started talking about the Zika thing. I think they used Florida as a testing ground. Florida was where the Zika thing was a big deal too, right? Oh, I have no idea. I just know that Bill Gates is trying to control. He's trying to get the he he invested millions into a PR firm to try to get them to propagandize the EU to set regulations so that his group could basically get control over it instead of these other international elites that were trying to get control of it. And DARPA, which was working with Bill Gates, is the world's biggest investor in gene drive technology, and they're investing in it in preparation for somebody else that might want to use it against us during war. This, that's the thing with DARPA. I mean, that's, I heard Hans Hermann Hoppe say once that you could conceive of a society where every single penny was spent on defense. I mean, you could really, there's no end to the amount of money. And, it, and it's taken me like years to just kind of 
let that sink in and and believe it as being like a profound yeah. thing to say. And DARPA can really like that's why the the thing like well if we don't dominate the world China and Russia will yes, so absolutely. we just we need to bomb everyone into submission because trust me somebody else is going to do it. Oh my <laughs> gosh! Oh, do we have time for you to play that Lackoff clip about uh, DARPA? Like where he says everything that I say, uh, but at the end he says it was good. I have it. I have the clip. Can I just think I can just play it? Yeah. Which one was it though? I have one. The Progress of Freedom 2, he explains what this country was founded on, modern examples. I think that's what it is. Yes. I think it's number two. It is? Yeah. This is George Lakoff. He's a cognitive linguist. He basically specializes in programming people using language. He puts a talking point out there, a word that he wants everybody to use, and you hear it coming out of everybody's mouth all the way up to Obama, all the way up to Bush. He's the reason we hear the word systemic all the time. From the beginning of this country, there was an idea that citizens care about other citizens, work through the government to provide public resources for everybody equally. Government has provided science and technology. Where did computer science come from? It came from and was financed by the National Science Foundation and DARPA. Where did the uh, satellite communication come from? NASA and NOAA, government programs. Where do you get GPS systems? The Defense Department maintains the entire satellite system that allows for GPS systems that are used in everything every day. Nobody, no business can function on this planet without public resources provided by the U.S. government. But here's the hilarious part about that. Yes, because they set it up that way. I want to be able to function without it. I, You know what I'm saying? But let me tell you what my daughter said to me last night. I took her phone away because she was fresh. And, um, you know, and of course she was like, did that bat thing where she just, you know, slammed against me for an hour until I didn't give it back to her. But so she calmed down and we were just having a normal conversation. And she said, I want to tell you something, but I'm afraid that you'll use it against me. Like, this is the kind of information she keeps is worried. She wants to talk to me, but she's afraid I'm going to retaliate because I now know how she operates. <laughs> she said, my friends and I were talking and we all agreed. We wish there never been phones. If we didn't have phones, we could actually hang out and talk to each other face to face. And now yeah. we're all stuck in these weird, we can only text to each other and can't even look at each other in the eye anymore. I had to wow. point out, like, teenagers always had a problem looking each other in the eye. But, um, yes, she said she wished they had never been invented. And so he said, you know, he acts like, what would you do without GPS? You're totally dependent on it. Thank God for the government because you're dependent on the thing that they offer you. I'm like, but I don't want to be dependent on anything. They created a world in which I am dependent on them. Yeah. That's, I resent that. Don't right. do that. Why would you do that? Who gave you the see that's why you want small government? You don't want to authorize this stuff. Because, like with the self-driving cars, it's like what I was saying before about human nature. There's also something true about economic economics, economy production, about the give and take between labor, capital, technology. You I remember hearing years ago, you'll never have voice to text. You'll never have like continual streaming of every single movie ever made. You're never going to have driverless cars because there will never be a point where that massive amount of technical capital investment will outweigh in any real time circumstance the ease with which labor can 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 function, can provide those functions. You have a secretary to type. 
you can drive your own car. The amount of, of technology that's required for the self-driving sensors and all the systems and everything, it would never, ever, ever emerge in a, in a give and take economy. And that's how you get labor markets to clear. That's how you get organic growth, human creativity. This, some might say, well, that's a reason not that, that you like, like he's saying, but you don't want that. What you want is a worldwide GPS system and you would never get it if in this give and take of, of human economy. But who's to say, I'm not saying that's a better, I don't think this is a better world. It's not like we have more leisure. We have less leisure and. And, and obviously less control because they are in control of it all. They can just shut us off like they're doing in China. If you don't abide by their laws of censorship or political speech or whatever, they're doing away with cash. Everybody's paying on their phones with these apps. The bank or the government will turn off your app. They'll turn it off. So you can't do anything. You can't, you know, it's like that Black Mirror episode. You can't go into your store, into your work because your door won't open because your, your popularity rating is too low. Yeah, yeah. They get you hooked and they obsolete the technology. You got to upgrade you gotta, to stay with it. Did you know that Georgia might be building a a highway specifically for truckers? And I'm wondering if it's going to be just for driverless truckers. It has to be. They are so destroying the trucker industry. I was reading stuff about how they need twice as many now. And uh, you know what I think they'll do? Like this is something about the tax law that drives me crazy. They have this like – instant depreciation or something in the tax law and that is going to create massive purchases of capital equipment to the point where you will have instant overwhelming oversupply and everybody will go bankrupt. That's that's the bubble I see. I mean, I'm not for sure, but that's exactly what happened in 2008 I, and there's no way that's not a possibility. So you get them all to be bankrupt. They have tremendous, um, the regulatory pressure now, like my brother, who's a trucker, I, I don't think he can drive more than 10 hours. It takes him twice as long to do the stuff that he used to do. They, they all have to have monitoring devices on their trucks, I think. And auto, the, uh, the auto that it has that self-driving truck retrofitting company. I mean, you would not be doing that if you weren't certain they were going to have the infrastructure in time. And on that note, we are out of time for today. I want to thank everybody for listening. Monica, I want to thank you for your wonderful insights. And I want to thank all of our patrons for donating, everybody who's donated through PayPal. We've had a few more people donate this week. I don't want to say people's names specifically because I don't know if they would want that for their privacy. I would rather ask everybody first. But thank you, everybody who's donated to the show. We appreciate it. Every little bit helps. Thank you again for listening. Thank you, Monica. Thank you for letting me rant. See you later.